Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, this is Jeff, and I'm actually coming to you from our church family's home, uh, Veritas Church. Uh, so this probably looks a little familiar to you. I might sound a little echoey because it's pretty empty in here, but as it turns out, my uh, bandwidth or whatever that is in my house can't uh, support what I'm trying to do here. So here I am uh, coming to you from an empty Veritas church that I hope soon will be filled uh, with our whole family altogether, right? But thanks for welcoming me into your home, into your living room or your basement or your car, wherever you are right now as you're listening or watching in. Um, yeah, it's just good to be together, you guys. It's it's good to be together this morning. Um, well, as Mark and Savannah have told you, we're going to get to the book of Revelation and uh, chapter three, but I, I just want to set up what we're going to do together today, the, the portion of scripture that we're going to meditate on together. Um, I want to do that by way of, of teasing out a question that I have for you. So when you think of the book of Revelation, um, what comes to mind immediately? Uh, I think for most of us, when we just think book of Revelation, we think apocalypse, right? We think end of the world imagery, the big curtain coming down on earth and life as we know it. And, uh, you know, you get to the end of that book and it's the recreation of the new heavens, the new earth, all that. But, but a big chunk of revelation is that apocalyptic end of the world judgment stuff going on. Right. And, uh, rightly so that's exactly what, um, it takes a lot of the ink in, in revelation. But before, we get to that part of the book of Revelation. Um, the book actually starts with a series of letters to these churches. Uh, and, and just so you know, they're real churches, real people in real time and space in the first century. In other words, when, when the book of Revelation was written, um, of course, God intended for all of us uh, around the world and through time to be able to read the words of the book of Revelation and to gain from them. In fact, in chapter one, he's going to invite us into the book of Revelation and, and really urge us and, and offer reward to those who would um, contemplate these words. So we were in mind as these words were written, but um, very specifically, the original book was written to these these seven local churches and um they're addressed to them very specifically in the first few chapters um it's interesting if you, if you looked geographically at a map of where these cities where these churches um were it'd be if we had today's map to overlay on the ancient map you'd see that in today's world they they are in turkey eastern turkey and, and you can map out the circuit that this letter goes on. So you start in Ephesus, uh, right there on the coast, and then you make your way up north, and it kind of arcs around in this, in this circuit and that ends up in Laodicea. And you almost get the idea that there's like a, a circuit rider, that, that once the scroll is, is rolled up, uh, perhaps copied seven times for each of these churches, and then this circuit writer just goes and delivers in, in this path to make sure that each of those seven churches got the message that, that he had for them. So uh, the apostle John is actually um, exiled. He's, he's in seclusion. He's in isolation actually right now as he's writing this on the island of Patmos. Uh, but in the opening lines, you become very aware that 
the Apostle John is actually a little more than a secretary. He's actually receiving word for word what he's supposed to be writing down. Um, and it's actually coming from the head of the church, Jesus Christ. He is the head, not just of the capital C church, like the big global church of all time, but he's the head of every single local church. And he's going to express his authority, his headship to each of these local churches. Um, and I'll tell you why that's important here in just a little bit. But I, I want to pick up right, actually not in Revelation 3, but in Revelation chapter 1, I want to look at those opening lines because they're really informative. Revelation 1 starts, the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw, right? Whatever he heard, whatever he saw, that's what he wrote down. And then blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. So uh, as these scrolls, these letters were dropped into uh, each of the locations, into each of the churches, it was up to the leader, the pastor of that church to gather, like assemble the whole church together and then just read aloud the words that, that God was going to speak over his people. So um, John becomes the secretary. Those pastors now are just kind of, you know, breaking the, the seal and opening that thing up and now reading the very words of Jesus Christ to his people. Pretty, pretty epic. When you get down to verse 11, you'll see uh, where, you know, the destination of these scrolls is to go right on a scroll, what you see and send it to the seven churches. And they're listed, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. He goes on to actually describe, John does, what he's seeing as, as the Son of Man, as Jesus Christ um, appears to him and begins to unfold this revelation. In verse 14, he describes him, he says, The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a, a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace and his voice like the sound of cascading waters, you know, kind of echoing through valleys. Um, he had seven stars in his right hand. A sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. So, yeah, incredibly glorious, right? Just an unbelievable picture of Jesus Christ. But one part of that imagery that I, I don't want you to miss is the sword in his mouth. Um, the imagery of a sword in the book of Revelation is always um, accompanying judgment, right? Um, in fact, when you get to Revelation 19, you're going to see, again, Jesus coming to, to execute that final judgment, and, and it says he has a, a sword in his mouth, right? Well, I want you to think about the fact that he has just said, I'm writing to these churches to to the churches that Jesus Christ is the head pastor of, but he's coming to them in this glorious image, but with a sword in his mouth. Uh, an image of judgment is coming to the churches, right? So keep that in mind um, as we read. So e each letter that goes to these churches is written very specifically to that particular church. In other words, Jesus was 
very familiar with what was going on, not just again in the church in general, but that specific local church to which it was addressed, um, which had to freak the people out a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, I just want you to imagine that, that Mark like receives a letter to Veritas church from Jesus Christ. And as he breaks the seal and unfolds it, you know, he begins to read and, and there's Jesus saying like, um, man, I love how Courtney is taking care of the children that I've brought into the Veritas church family. Well done. And, and man, Carrie, well done in the way that you um, are taking care of the, the monies, the, the resources that have been entrusted to Veritas church and you've dispensed it so well and well done, Carrie. Um, hey, tell Dale, keep up the good work, but let Jeff know, I see what's going on and he'd better knock it off. Like that's, that's the way these letters are coming to these churches. Like his level of familiarity, like he knows exactly what's going on in each one of these churches. Um, there's that real sense, right? Of experiencing the nearness of Jesus as, as he kind of steps in by way of this letter into the, into the church. So the one letter that we're going to focus on is in chapter three. It's the very last of the letters. It's to the, uh, church in Laodicea. Now, um, actually, before I even read it, let me just back up and give you a little bit of background to Laodicea. So um, even though this city, Laodicea, um, we're going to find it at this moment back in the first century, um, I want you to be listening for ways that it is remarkably similar to Iowa City in 2020, okay? The similarities are just striking, Okay. Laodicea at this point in its history is prosperous. It's kind of the Wall Street of the whole region of the, of the Roman Empire there. In fact, so much so that not long before this letter was written to the Laodiceans, an earthquake had happened in that region. That whole region is kind of susceptible to earthquakes. And one pretty jarring earthquake had happened. And so Nero, the emperor at that time, Roman emperor, had sent word to these different cities in that area, in that region, saying, hey, the federal government, right? The empire will come in and help you and assist you. And Laodicea alone, singularly of all those cities said, uh, no, we got this. We got this. Like refused Nero's help because it was like their way of expressing their autonomy and their prosperity. Like, hey, keep your money, emperor. We got this. And just re rejected all the, the federal aid that was going to come to them. Uh, it was also a medical community. It actually had like a research hospital, basically. Um, very specifically, they have some of the most ancient and really cutting edge medicinal ointments and salves for the eyes. Um, ophthalmologists really did a lot of their development in Laodicea and they were able to uh, cure a lot of eye diseases uh, from the research center right there in Laodicea. Um, another thing about Laodicea, it was very healthy. <laughs> they had a uh, some of these really cool spa-like waters just outside of their city. And it created this like culture of health and recreation and, and flourishing. And uh, also a very fashionable place. Um, they were a textile uh, city, big textile industry. Specifically, they had this black wool. They had these in incredible uh, sheep, actually still in that region to this day this black wool that would come from these uh, sheep that was kind of the envy of the whole known world. Like everybody wanted some of that incredible, very uh, lush black wool. 
Um, all that to say, very powerful, very wealthy, very influential city. And yet, um, as we begin to unpack the letter that Jesus writes to this church, um, this church singularly of all the seven churches listed receives no commendation from Jesus at all. None. Only rebuke. Jesus is unusually harsh and stern as he begins to write to the church that's in Laodicea. And, and the, the shock of that could not have been lost on them as they're listening to the other letters to the other churches and then gets to theirs. Uh, so listen in as, as we read the letter that Jesus wrote to the Laodiceans, write to the angel of the church in Laodicea, thus says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation, right? So listen up. The God of creation is about to speak to you, Laodiceans. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Um, you guys, this is such visually stunning language. Jesus is saying, you make me sick. I am retching as I look in on you. Like, <clears throat> you guys, if, if your body detects that you have somehow ingested a poison um, into your gut, what does it do? What does your body do? It spontaneously hurls, right? It retches. You get these spasmatic kind of convulsions. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. I've got to get you out of my system. Why? Because of some horrific thing that they were doing, some scandalous sin that's going on? No, no. It's because they are so lukewarm, so lukewarm. They are dispassionate. They are lethargic. They are bored. <laughs> and, and you got to understand the churches of the first century, if they were known for anything, it was for their passion, their passion and love for Jesus Christ, their passion to get the good news of Jesus Christ out to all their friends, all to their community and, and to their surrounding regions. And here was this, this church that was so positioned to be so influential. And then there, there they are just lethargic, just lukewarm, so dispassionate. And so Jesus takes them to task. He wants nothing to do with them. They were poisonous to him. And he didn't, frankly, want his other churches affected by them. They needed to be expelled before their, their miserable state could affect others, right? Um, and now Jesus gets very specific, very precise in his rebuke. Uh, remember the description of Laodicea, right, that I gave you earlier, the Wall Street of that region, the garment district, the research hospital. So keep that in mind as he gets really specific now with why he is so frustrated with their lukewarmness. He says in verse 17, for you say, I'm rich. I've become wealthy. I need nothing, right? Hey, Nero, I don't need your stuff. Jesus, I'm good. I don't need it. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to Buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. White clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed. And 
ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. Oh, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is saying, look, you look at each other and you even look at yourself in the mirror and you say, man, I got it together. Man, look at our church. We've got it together, right? We got it all. And Jesus is saying, I'll I'll tell you what I see when I look in your church. You're poor, rich, you're poor, you're blind. You are pitifully naked. But Jesus is saying, I don't want you to stay that way. Come to me. Open the door. This is, this is like my last call to you. And you, you wonder, did they even realize that Jesus wasn't among them? Did they even realize that he was now standing outside of the church, knocking to get back in? Did they realize that they had dismissed him long ago? But he's standing outside. He's yelling through the door, knocking on the door. Let me show you true riches. You're buying a lie with your riches. Let me show you that what it looks like to truly see. You've got blinders on. You think that, that you can see so well. No, no, no. I want to show you true sight to see what is real and true. And I want to clothe you, not in your own textiles, but in garments that would blow your mind past your wildest imagination. And so even though this letter is like harsh and confrontational, it comes from Jesus who's, who's like pushed to the end of his patience with them and yet still beckons them to repent. So I just don't want you to miss this, you guys. The, the only local church to receive this just excoriating rebuke is the church that on the outside was the most enviable and successful. The letter ends, um, as, as all the other letters do, with both hope but also a penetrating challenge, okay? Both hope and a penetrating challenge. Look at the last couple of verses. Verse 21 says, To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Oh, I want you to be conquerors. I want you to be with me. I want you to join me in my father's throne room, right? Just this invitation. And then verse 22, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the spirit says to the churches. Guys, that last verse has just been like ringing in my soul, just haunting me these last days. Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the spirit says to the churches. Um, This past week, I was a little troubled by some of the news and it was not just the, the numbers increasing and, and uh, the virus and the impact of the virus uh, in our nation. That's all in the news for sure. But I was actually most disheartened when I saw that there was a, a very visible Christian pastor who implied that our nation was experiencing the, what he called consequential wrath of God. We're receiving this as a consequence of And then he went on to name all those people out there who are bringing the wrath of God into our country. And as he named these different groups, these people groups, uh, he talked about them having depraved minds and included in there uh, people like the environmentalists. I just can't even go there. Uh, I, but I I read that and was just stunned. And I, here's what I want to say. Veritas church. I think all of us starting 
right here with Veritas Church, um, we would do well to think about what God is trying to say to us before we ever start finger pointing at what he's trying to say to those people out there. What is God trying to say to his church, Veritas Church, and to me particularly? Um, And I'm startled by the parallel between Iowa City and Laodicea, right? Um, I think we are prone to the same lukewarmness. I think I am prone to the same lukewarmness. That we're prosperous. We have this incredible medical research community. We live very comfortably. Um, So many parallels. And look, Jesus didn't want Laodicea like, like the church of Laodicea, to, to leave Laodicea, get out of there, get out of there. No, no, no. He didn't want them to shut down the commerce. He didn't want them to stop making those textiles or stop the research in the hospitals. Of course, not. what he's saying, though, is wake up, be zealous, re- repent, change your mind, and, and awaken to the incredible role that you guys could be playing for the sake of Jesus Christ and, and the gospel and, and, and wake up and and. Let Jesus back in. Let your passion be kindled again. Um, so Veritas, we're in a painful time as a nation, as a community. Like we all feel it, right? But maybe Jesus is using this opportunity to knock at the door of Veritas Church at, into my home. Um, you guys have maybe heard uh, a C.S. Lewis quote out of the problem of of pain where he says pain insists upon being attended to God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. My question is now that we're in this dark Valley, now that we're in this painful time as a community, as a nation, are we hearing the megaphone of God's voice? the last verse of that passage of that letter to Laodicea, do we have ears to hear what the spirit is saying to our church? And guys, I, I don't know exactly what he's trying to say to our church. I'm, I'm still not sure of everything he wants to say to me, but man, I want to have ears to hear. And so I guess today it's my call to our church family to listen for the spirit calling us to listen for the knock on the door. What does Jesus want to teach you? What does Jesus want to teach me? How can we welcome him back in to pull away from our lukewarmness and invite Jesus to the front and center of all that we are as individuals and as a church? And so that's that's my prayer, and I'd love to pray with you to that end as well. So let's join together, should we, in prayer? Because Jesus... We're proclaiming again that you are the head of your church, and we're so glad. Lord Jesus, you died so that we might live. You died so that we could be gathered into your family. You died so that we could be your church, and you rose again so that we could live as conquerors, so that we could live victoriously, so that we could live a changed, transformed life in our homes and collectively as a church in this community into the ends of the earth. So Lord, stir in us whatever you need to do to awaken us so that we hear your knock, 
so that we hear your voice. Lord, we want that intimacy with you that maybe we have grown bored of. Stir our affections toward you. Draw us close. We welcome you in. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Give us ears to hear. And these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen and amen.